This will be our final session as we finish the book of Colossians today. We have followed the Apostle Paul's flow of thought from the beginning, and here in this final passage we will see Paul change the subject to include personal greetings from several of his trusted companions. In Colossians 4, verse 7, Paul says, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. So Paul now turns to more personal matters. There are things he wants to share with the Colossians, but the Holy Spirit has led him not to record them in print. Beyond what he wrote to the Colossians, he also wants his faithful messenger Tychicus to spend time sharing additional information with them personally. This is the first time we hear of Tychicus in this letter, even though he was the messenger who delivered it to the church there. From other Bible passages, we learn that Tychicus had been one of Paul's companions and part of his ministry team for several years before Paul's imprisonment in Rome. For example, we know that Tychicus was one of the trusted messengers who helped Paul to carry the funds that had been collected for the relief effort to the churches in Judea. We see that in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. He was a man of proven character even at that time, which was probably as much as five years earlier than the writing of Colossians. And we know that Tychicus would continue to serve with Paul in ministry up until the time of Paul's death, about four or five years in the future from the time of Colossians. Even though we don't know very much about Tychicus, Paul's brief description of him here in Colossians 4 verse 7 is a fitting tribute. Paul provided three important statements about the character of Tychicus. First, he describes him as a beloved brother. This is the Greek phrase, agapetas adelphas. This is Paul's way of saying that Tychicus is very dear and precious to him, as well as clearly identifying Tychicus as a fellow believer or brother in Christ. As one lexicon puts it, Paul and Tychicus were joined in the bonds of faith and love. So the first of Paul's statements is that Tychicus is extremely important to Paul personally, as well as being a trusted ministry partner. Next, Paul says he is a faithful servant. This is the Greek phrase, pistos diakonos. The noun diakonos is where we get our English word deacon, which is one of the biblical offices that is recognized in the New Testament church, as we see in 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. And it's often translated as minister. The adjective pistos indicates that not only was Tychicus a believer, but he is faithful in the sense of being reliable, dependable, and trustworthy. Pistos diakonos could mean Paul's trusted assistant. In the context, we can conclude that Paul is authorizing Tychicus as his official representative for sharing the personal parts of his message to the church at Colossae. Finally, Paul says, fellow bondservant. This is the single Greek word, sundulas, 
which means one who serves under the same conditions as another, or a servant of the same Lord. So here Paul is describing the bond of fellowship that he shares with Tychicus in their dedicated service to Christ and his body, the church. This gives us a glimpse into Paul's relationship with Tychicus, as well as endorsing him and his mission to the Colossians. Paul says that Tychicus will bring you information, which translates the Greek word noridzo, that means to declare or make known. In Colossians 4 verse 8, Paul goes on to say, For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. So there are two main purposes for the visit of Tychicus to Colossae. First, he wants Tychicus to share about the circumstances and the events that Paul has experienced in Rome. The reason for Paul's imprisonment was common knowledge throughout the church, and the believers would need to be updated about the status of his case that was pending before Caesar. Paul's physical health had also been a constant concern during all of his missionary journeys across that region, so people would want to know how to best pray for his health issues. Pending the outcome of his case, people would also want to know more about Paul's plans for continuing his work. It seems that Paul was ever the optimist, and he asked one of the members of the Colossian church to prepare a guest room for him so he could visit Colossae after his expected release from confinement, according to Philemon 1 verse 22. Second, Tychicus is a faithful minister who is well qualified to encourage the church members in Colossae. Encourage is the Greek word parakaleo, which means to call alongside, to encourage, strengthen, and comfort. The heart is Paul's way to identify the center of a person's physical and spiritual life. As we have seen Paul say throughout this letter, the primary way that believers are encouraged and strengthened is from the ministry of the Word of God. Tychicus was fully qualified to carry out that ministry, as we can see from later passages when Paul dispatched him to relieve other ministers. In one case, he was sent to Crete to free up Titus. We see that in Titus chapter 3, verse 12. And on another occasion, Paul sent him to Ephesus, probably to relieve Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. So Tychicus was commissioned on a special journey from Rome to Colossae. One commentator has this to say about Tychicus and his mission. He said, Fleeting things done for Christ are eternal. How astonished! Tychicus would have been if anybody had told him that on that day when he got away from Rome with the precious letters in his bag, that these bits of parchment would outlast all the ostentatious pomp of the city, and that his name, because it was written in them, would be known to the end of time all over the world. Now let's take a moment to figure out how Paul's letters traveled from Rome to Colossae. In Paul's day, it was quite a bit more difficult to deliver letters than it is today. The Roman Empire did have an official postal service, and their system of roads connected all of the far-flung points across the entire empire. 
Their messenger service was called the Cursus Publicus, and it was a state-controlled courier system. The Roman historian Procopius wrote, The earlier emperors established couriers throughout their dominion. At a day's journey for an active man, they fixed stages, and in every stage there were forty horses and a number of grooms in proportion. The couriers often covered in a single day as great a distance as they would otherwise have covered in ten Now, this sounds similar to the Pony Express system that existed for a short time across the American West. Unfortunately, the cursus publicus was for official use only, and citizens were not allowed to use it without a special government permit. Normal citizens without access to the cursus publicus would have slaves or acquaintances carry their mail from place to place. The trip from Rome to Colossae began with a journey of almost 400 miles from Rome to one of the seaports in southeastern Italy. Next, there was a journey across the Ionian Sea of over 100 miles. Then there was a journey of about 200 miles by land to one of the seaports in southeastern Greece. Next was another 200-mile journey across the Aegean Sea to the port of Ephesus or Miletus on the western coast of Asia Minor. Finally, there was a journey by land of about 100 miles to reach Colossae. Another interesting view of the route between Rome and Colossae is shown on the Tabula Puteringeriana, This is thought to be the only surviving map or known map of the Roman Cursus Publicus. The map consists of an enormous scroll measuring over 22 feet long. It's a schematic map similar to a modern subway map. Along the entire width of the scroll, it displays the Roman routes and the destinations. Uh, Any geographical features appear distorted and out of proportion, but the waypoints and the distances between stages are accurately represented. So here we see just two small segments of the scroll, one at the starting point in Rome and the other near the destination in Asia Minor. So Tychicus was dispatched to Colossae carrying these precious letters from the Apostle Paul to the churches. One reason for selecting him as the messenger may have been that he was a native of Asia Minor, probably of Ephesus, so he would have known the territory and been acquainted with people along the way who could assist him during the journey. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, They will inform you about the whole situation here. So Tychicus did not travel alone. He was accompanied by Onesimus, who had been a runaway slave from the household of Philemon. We know very little about Onesimus himself or what motivated him to flee from his master's house. We do know that Philemon was a committed believer and that a church was meeting in his house in Colossae according to Philemon chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So Onesimus left that Christian environment and ran away. Rome was a huge city at that time, offering plenty of places to hide for someone who did not want to be found. 
But most of the best areas for hiding were also quite dangerous, with many opportunities to be taken advantage of. We can only speculate about what brought Onesimus and Paul together in Rome. One commentator said, What brought him into contact with Paul we do not know. It may have been hunger. It may have been the pangs of conscience. He could not forget that his master's house in Colossae was the place where the Christians met in their weekly assemblies for the worship of Christ. Neither could he forget how Philemon had many a time spoken of Paul, to whom he owed his conversion. Now, the problem with running away from God is that wherever you go, there he is. However it happened, we can be sure that God was looking out for Onesimus and that he led both Onesimus and Paul to meet each other in Rome. Paul explained to Philemon that while he was confined under house arrest, he met and ministered to Onesimus, who became a Christian. Paul said it this way in Philemon chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. He said, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wished to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. So when Paul sent Tychicus to Colossae with his letter to that church, it seemed like the perfect opportunity to send Onesimus back to Philemon, too. Paul could have written something like this. I am sending Onesimus, the runaway slave, back to Philemon as required by law. But that is not how Paul saw the situation. Instead, he wrote, I am sending Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. One commentator described it this way. The apostle recommends Onesimus to the brethren in Colossae as a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. And he goes on to say that Tychicus and Onesimus will make known to them all things that have happened to Paul in Rome. Such a commendation would greatly facilitate Onesimus' return to Colossae. But Paul does more. He furnishes Onesimus with a letter written by himself to Philemon. Returning to a city where it was well known that he had been neither a Christian nor even an honest man, he needed someone to vouch for the reality of the change which had taken place in his life. And Paul does this for him, both in the epistle to the Colossians and in the letter to Philemon. So now at the end of this verse, Paul says that they, both Tychicus and Onesimus, will inform you about the whole situation here. Both men were designated messengers to the church at Colossae. Paul will now go on to mention some of his other companions in ministry. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions if he comes to you, welcome him. 
Several people remained with Paul in Rome, and in this verse Paul mentions two of them. Aristarchus was one of Paul's constant companions. We know that he originally came from Thessalonica, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 4, so he probably became a believer during Paul's second missionary journey around ten years prior to Paul's letter to the Colossians. It seems that Aristarchus traveled with Paul from that point onward. He was one of the believers who was seized by the Ephesian mob during the riot that was stirred up by the silversmiths in Acts chapter 19, verse 29. And he was one of the men who accompanied Paul from Greece to Jerusalem with the collection for the churches in Judea, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 4. He is next mentioned as accompanying Paul to Rome in Acts chapter 27, verse 2, where he assisted Paul and shared in his imprisonment. Aristarchus had a habit of being with Paul during difficult times. He must have been of tremendous help to the aging apostle. Paul also mentions Barnabas's cousin Mark, and that is none other than John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Paul traveled with Barnabas and Mark on their first missionary journey together from Antioch in Syria to Cyprus and southern Asia Minor, according to Acts chapter 13, verse 5. Even though Paul had a falling out with both Barnabas and Mark at that time, Paul was writing his Colossian letter almost 15 years later, and during the intervening years, Mark had more than proven himself in Christian ministry. As one commentator said, the man Paul once rejected became one of his greatest helpers. Here Paul says to the Colossians that they had already received instructions about Mark and that if he comes to you, then they are to welcome him. Mark truly is an important minister and servant of Christ at this time in church history. In Colossians 4 verse 11, Paul says, And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proven to be an encouragement to me. So Paul now mentions Jesus, who is called Justice, as his third companion. This is the only place in the New Testament where he's mentioned, so we know very little about him. The reason these three men were named together is because they are all Jewish believers. As Paul says, they are fellow workers who are from the circumcision. They all share a common Jewish heritage, and they all have suffered similar persecutions from the Jews as they declared this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, as Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. When Paul says they are fellow workers for the kingdom of God, he's being consistent with how he used the term kingdom previously in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. There he stated that God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So just as God makes believers legal heirs of a heavenly inheritance, which we do not possess now but will ultimately receive in the future, according to Colossians 1 verse 12, so he also guarantees the legal status of believers as members of Christ's future kingdom. They will ultimately enter into the kingdom of God to enjoy their inheritance 
and they are working diligently now to give others that same opportunity. At the end of this verse, Paul says that his Jewish Christian companions have been a great encouragement to him. As we recall from the last session, the very reason that Paul had been imprisoned was because the Jews reacted violently to his presentation of the gospel. So it makes sense that Paul would be encouraged to have some of his Jewish brothers as brothers in Christ, too. Not all Jews rejected Jesus, the Messiah, but a few of them believed and became members of the body of Christ, the church. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. So here Paul will begin to name some of his Gentile companions. We have already met Epaphras in the first chapter of Colossians, where Paul said they heard the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras. Colossians 1 verses 5 through 8. He was the one who first shared the gospel message with the people of his hometown. And when many of his neighbors believed in Christ, Epaphras then spent time carefully teaching them the truths of the faith. Paul described him as a beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, according to Colossians 1 verse 7. Now here in this verse, Paul confirms that Epaphras was from Colossae, but that he did not return home carrying this letter to the Colossians. Instead, he remained in Rome with Paul, and while he was there, he carried on an important prayer ministry for all those in the Lycus Valley. When Paul said Epaphras was always laboring earnestly for them in his prayers, he used the Greek word agonizomai, from which we get our English word agonizing. This is the same word that Paul had used in Colossians 1 verse 29 to describe his own efforts in ministry. And Epaphras' prayer is almost identical to what Paul said that he was praying for the Colossians in Colossians 1 verses 9 through 12. This chart shows how Epaphras' prayer really corresponds well to Paul's prayers and desires. In Colossians 4, verse 12, Epaphras said that they stand perfect. Stand is the Greek word histemi, which means established. And of course, we know from Colossians 1, 23, that Paul wanted them to be firmly established in the faith. The word perfect is the Greek term teleos, which means complete or mature. And we know from Colossians 1, verse 28, that Paul wanted to present every man complete in Christ using the same word, teleos. Epaphras had prayed that they be fully assured. The Greek word here is pleraphoreo. It means filled to overflowing, to be fully convinced or persuaded. This corresponds well to what Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 that they would have the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. 
And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul said, In him you have been made complete, or full, using a similar term. Epiphras then said, In all God's will, the Greek word thelema, which means God's wishes as contained in his precepts and commands. This corresponds well with what Paul was praying in Colossians 1, verse 9, that they be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we really see here the unity that was evidenced among Paul's ministry partners there in Rome. In Colossians 4, verse 13, Paul says, For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Paul now gives first-hand testimony to the passion of Epaphras for all the believers in the Lycus Valley. Concern is the Greek word panos, which can be translated as anguish or intense desire. Since Epaphras was the founder of these churches, he took on a great burden to pray for them and to work tirelessly for their spiritual growth. We see here that both of the major cities in the Lycus Valley are mentioned, so Epaphras's original message and influence has spread throughout the area. There are now groups of believers in all three of the towns in the valley. In Colossians 4, verse 14, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. So Paul next mentions Luke, who would write the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey a decade previously, according to Acts 16, verse 10. And Luke became a beloved companion throughout the rest of Paul's life. Here we see that Luke was a physician, and he probably tended to Paul's medical needs as well as assisting in the ministry work. Demas is mentioned here only by name, but Philemon 1 verse 24 includes him among Paul's fellow laborers. All we know about him is that he eventually deserted Paul and returned to Thessalonica, having loved worldly things more than the Lord's work, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. In Colossians 4, verse 15, Paul says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. Paul sends his greetings to the believers who are in Laodicea, as well as to Nympha and the church that is meeting with her in her home. This is the only mention of Nympha, so we have no other information about her or the believers who worship together in her house. At this time in church history, there really were no purpose-built meeting halls for believers like there were synagogues for the Jews. Christian fellowships would typically meet in members' homes. One commentator expressed it this way, We must remember that there was no such thing as a special church building until the 3rd century. Up to that time, the Christian congregations met in the houses of those who were the leaders of the church. It's also possible that the fellowships of believers in the Lycus Valley also shared teaching pastors. In Colossians 4, verse 16, he says, When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. 
So Paul now makes some requests about how his letters should be circulated among the churches. First, he says that after the Colossians have publicly read and studied this letter, then they are to send it to the neighboring church in Laodicea. This would have been an easy way for Paul's teaching to impact several fellowships without requiring him personally to be present. Next, Paul asks that the Colossians also publicly read and study the letter that is coming from Laodicea. Some have assumed that Paul wrote a special letter to the Laodiceans, which has since been lost. But it's more likely that Paul is referring to the letter to the Ephesians. One commentator explained it this way, It is well nigh certain that Ephesians was a circulating letter meant to be exchanged among the churches throughout Asia. It may be that this circulating letter had reached Laodicea and was now on the way to Colossae. Some of the earliest manuscripts of the book of Ephesians do not have the words in Ephesus in the first verse, and the early church fathers were familiar with a copy of that letter which was kept at Laodicea. Textual scholars of the New Testament have determined that most of the available manuscripts were copies of the one that was kept in Ephesus, so it came to be called the Epistle to the Ephesians. We know that Tychicus carried both of these letters on his journey from Paul in Rome to Ephesus, Laodicea, and Colossae, according to Ephesians 6, verse 21. So it's probably best to think of this so-called missing letter as the circulating letter that was delivered first to Ephesus and then to Laodicea before it would eventually reach Colossae. The exchange of important teaching materials like this was common procedure among the churches. In Colossians 4 verse 17, he says, Say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Last of all, Paul addresses Archippus. He is mentioned only here and in the letter to Philemon. The way he is included in that letter may imply that Archippus was the son of Philemon, since he's mentioned in the context of the wife of Philemon, Aphia, and his household. The context here in Colossians 4 verse 17, coming immediately after the mention of the church in Laodicea, has led some to think that he may have been the minister of the church there. This side of heaven, there's no way to know for certain, but clearly Paul valued Archippus as a fellow soldier, which is the Greek word sustratiates. One commentator has said, In Philemon 1, verse 2, he is mentioned by Paul as his fellow soldier, and it is evident that the apostle meant to speak of him with honor. There is no evidence, as has been supposed by some, that he intended to imply that Archippus had been remiss in the performance of his duties, but the apostle doubtless meant to encourage him and to excite him to further zeal in the work of the Lord. Now, Paul's command to Archippus is to take heed, or watch diligently, to be engaged in the ministry to which he was called. He used the Greek word plerao in the present tense to say, keep on filling it full. So Paul intends to encourage him in the work that he's taken on for the church. 
In Colossians 4, verse 18, we see, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. In this final verse, Paul himself takes the pen to sign the letter with his own hand and to share two last thoughts. First, he says, literally, remember my chains. As one commentator expressed it, Paul's reference to his chains is not a plea for sympathy. They are his claim to authority and the guarantee of his right to speak. Another has said, The chain clanked afresh as Paul took the pen to sign the salutation. And yet another stated, The clumsy handwriting was accounted for by the weight of the fetters on the poor wrists, yet his heart was full of love and joy. Finally, Paul scrawled, Grace be with you. He began this letter desiring grace for them, and he ends on this same note. So God's grace are the bookends for all of his thoughts in between. As one commentator has said, May you still possess the favor and blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle ends as he began. Without the grace of Christ, they could not have become a church, and without this grace, they could not continue to be one. As we close our study, let's recall the words to the famous hymn, Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall his praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free, for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me.